and welcome to episode 114 of the Talking Fitball podcast. My name's Derek Clark, and each week we try and bring you an in-depth interview with some of the most engaging and colourful characters involved in the game. This week I had the pleasure of chatting to Dundee's finest, Eddie Walecki Black. In a fascinating look back in his playing and coaching career, Eddie is in fine form as he tells us about his time banging in the goals for the likes of Montrose, Devon, Vale and Huntley and his agony at missing out on the move to boyhood heroes Dundee United. He tells us about the success he had at Lockheed United as a manager, being undermined at Montrose, guiding Glasgow City to untold success in the women's game, his spell at Airdrie where he would suffer a brain hemorrhage. He tells us about his recovery and the work he's now doing with Forfar Farmington. It's a cracking insight into one of the most respected coaches in the game, so sit back and enjoy the latest episode of the Talking Fitball podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Talking Fitball podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined this week by the one and only Eddie Walecki Black. Eddie, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. We're just talking off air there, Eddie, at the moment. You're self-isolating at the moment, of course, coronavirus affecting us all. In terms of yourself over the past, oh God, we've had it now for 18 months or something now, isn't it? It's, it's certainly been te- a testing well, I was I was actually in hospital when we went to the first lockdown, and that was in March, twenty nineteen. Wow! So it's more than two years now. I've suffered a broken hip in March nineteen, and I was in hospital when they put the lockdown. Wow. That's it's, it's it's crazy, isn't it? We feel like we've got we've got years of your life that we're owed. Um, it's been it's been something else, but um, hopefully we're we're not too far away before, uh, well, some sort of norm- normality. You would hope. Um, your career, Eddie, looking back, uh, very interesting career you've, you, you've had in, in football, there's no doubt about it. Growing up in, was it Dundee you grew up in? Yeah, I was Dundee, born and bred, yeah. Were, were you always kicking the ball around as a, as a young boy? Yeah, yeah, I was in a football family, so my, my dad was a referee, then a football manager, my uncle was a referee, my other uncle was a football player, so I was always in among football. Yeah, and, and the family, did you have any... Role models, any players that you, you wanted to be like growing up? Paul Sturrock. Oh, what a player, yeah. He was the best. Yeah, he, he was something else. Were you a United fan growing up, Eddie? I was, yeah. Yeah, did you did you go along to Tannadice? I did, yes, regularly. But in those days, I have to say that, that I don't know what it was like elsewhere in Scotland, but we Dundee, one week you go to Dens with your pals, next week you go to Tannadice. <laughs> yeah. That was in the days when they left you over the turnstile. So yeah. every game is free. Yeah. Uh, that would have been class. And back then as well, Dundee United and uh, even Dundee had a, a great side as well. You, you were spoiled for, for choice, I guess, growing up. Some cracking sides, didn't they? Well, the United team in the 80s was fantastic. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. That was a team. Yeah. Did you go to the the, the cup final? Um, the UEFA cup final? I did, yes. Yeah. Not that? away, but at home, yes. Yeah. And that was the best atmosphere I've ever witnessed in Dundee. Yeah. Even go. though it was a dense part of the day, United won the league. And that was a fabulous atmosphere as well. That was something else. He came so close to that game against, against Gothenburg. Under Jim McLean as well. What, what a manager uh, Eddie was. I said that he was miles ahead of himself. He was yeah. years ahead of himself. But I, I'm an absolute genius. 
I would never miss a chance to talk to him about football. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you speak to him? Did, did you manage to speak to him in, in, in your career, Eddie, as, as a manager and get maybe tips and advice off him? Yes, absolutely. And as a player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I was on two occasions with United and did uh pre season training. Yeah. So I was doing well at my clubs at the time, so there was a chance that maybe something would happen, but unfortunately the second time I got my leg broke on my birthday and that killed it. Jesus. Um, as a player, you, you, you were a forward, weren't you, as a, as, as, as a footballer? Yeah. Yeah, I guess scoring, I mean, was it Montrose you had a, a little spell at before? And before, but where was it you, you actually started your, your career, Eddie? Well, my first club was at United Boys. Yeah. And uh, I was deemed, obviously, no good enough, which is probably right decision back then at the time. Uh-huh. And I had spells at, like, uh, Cownbeath. East Fife. Uh, I was at Breaking for about a year and a half. Yeah. And they were playing the championship at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, we got relegated that season. And I got to see the manager we had a few weeks of the season to go. And he says to me, we can't give you a new contract because we don't have the funds in place now. Because obviously the team got relegated. Yeah. I remember going back home to Dundee and speaking to my friends. And I just asked the question, what am I going to do? And he says, well, what was what, what, what it made you reach here in the first place? I says, well, obviously scoring goals and playing well for a junior team. He says, right, get back junior and get fit. So I did. I went back to the juniors at St. Joseph's. And I started doing regular three times a week runs from my house which is near Tarnish, over the Tay Road Bridge and back in. But the Tay Road Bridge is the, the longest bridge in Europe at that time. So it was a good a good 30 mile run, easy. Yeah. Then back. So uh, I did that three times a week. I felt really sharp. I was in playing the games for St. Joseph's. I was hammering goals in. And after a week being released from Brighton, I got contacted by the scout from Montrose who asked if I would wish if I could come play a trial game for Montrose. So, of course, I said, yeah. Yeah. And unbeknown to me, the game was actually against uh, Brecon. <laughs> At Brecon. So, so, I played for Montrose Reserves against Brecon Reserves at Brecon a week after I'd been released. And fortunately for me, I managed to score a hat-trick. And <laughs> that kind of nailed my move to Montrose. Yeah. And lo and behold, in the couple of weeks that were left of the season, Montrose got promoted back to the Championship. So, I was back where I was with Brecon. Yeah. Yeah, it's something else. We had uh, we had Evo Den Beeman on a couple of weeks ago and he was part yeah. of that, that, that team. What, what was he yes, like he to was. play with Eddie? Yeah, he was uh, a number of things. He wanted to say frustrating. Because <laughs> obviously, one under Jim McLean and Ed, as a striker, if your wide player went down the side, then you're expecting the cross. Yeah. Then you go and try and make your runs off the courses. But if you check back, how was you dead? Because usually as a striker, you've already made your run. So that if he checks back, that's killed you. Yeah. And Evo was one for checking back. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, Jim Leishman had a, a little spell at Montrose as well. But were you there when he, when he was there? Well, I yes, I was. Great for him. 
I was there, yes. Yeah. Did, did he quite work for uh, Big Jim at, at Montrose? Can you put your finger on him? Why that? that because you never played me regular enough. <laughs> I mean, his first ever game was, believe it or not, a reserve game he came to watch against the Femming, his old team. Yeah. I mean, the first 20 matches I scored twice and then we got a penalty. I'll never forget Martin Allen took the penalty because I was desperate when he scored a hat-trick again. Yeah. And even though Jim took over the team and we won the winning games, we were losing the week on week out. And I was still scoring for the reserve teams. I got the winner at Petaudry, I got the winner at Easter Road, I got the winner at East End Park. Yeah. I managed to score goals in the derby against our growth and that. So I was still scoring goals regularly for the reserves. And it seemed, didn't matter what happened, that he just seemed to bypass me. And I think, if I remember correctly, when he came on board, I don't think he won a game until about the second last game of the season. Yeah. 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 And then, Bank, actually, it was. Yeah. So I, I don't think he was my favourite manager, to be honest. No, that, that's, I know. You, it never really worked for him there. And I mean, the club went down at that season, uh, relegated, and then you would leave yeah. shortly after, Eddie. Was that another. Is that a case like breaking as well? They couldn't have, they, they couldn't pay you or, or what, what happened there? No, no, I'll tell you what I got I got a, a wee phone call from Joe Harper. Yeah. Yeah, Scotland and Aberdeen Strider. Yeah. He was managing Devon beyond the High League. And he asked to speak to me. And myself and Brad Kerr, the two of us went and spoke to him. And they gave us a deal that basically we couldn't have turned down. Aye. Yeah. I'd been a It'd be an automatic divorce to the, the financial dealers in place. Yeah. So we went inside for Derby on them. And I've listened, I've not got any qualms at all about saying that's why I signed the did. Yeah. And financially, it was too good to turn down. Yeah. And I ended up really enjoying myself there. Scored yeah. a lot of goals. Joe's a big help. He brought on poor people like uh, John Hewitt came on board. Yeah. Bradley Kerr, Stevie Dolan, who's now the manager up there, uh, John Holt. So, we ended up being quite a good, good side. Yeah. And going to the Highland League, did, did, did that bother you, Eddie? Or I guess it was an offer you just, like you say, you couldn't, couldn't refuse at the time? As there was double edged. I was going to learn from Joe Harper. Yeah. I was going to be playing regularly every week. Yeah. It was financially worthwhile. Yeah. And at Derville, at that time, we were getting crowds around about a thousand for home gates. Wow. So it was actually a decent level. You've got to remember as well, the Highland League clubs hadn't left the league yet. So Inverness was still Cal Clark, Cali Thistle, you saw the Ross County, Brora all there. So it was a strong setup. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, was it right you had a season and, you had a, and then you went back to him and chose and back to Devrin Vale again? That's right, I did. <laughs> uh, John Holt left Devonville to become the manager at Montrose. Oh, did he? <laughs> That's why then. So his first thing he did was phone me to go back. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. See, see, your, see your playing career, Eddie? Was there any places that you loved playing at? Any football grounds that you loved going to that you you done well at? Jason Park, Forfer. Yeah. I always seem to score against Forfer, always. Yeah. 
Yeah. Was there any you hated got any, any any crowns? Speak to a lot of players with the changing rooms and all that, and just they just hate. No, them. I mean, I, I used to, I didn't quite enjoy my time going back to play United at Gussie Park. Yeah, and I tell you why because I was generally always matched up to Alec Twelve, and that was a hard shift. Yeah, because boy, could he run? Oh. <laughs> Uh, so it's had some engine on him, didn't he? He was a, he was a good player, Alec Cleland. Um, uh, it was good. Um, see, your playing career then, Eddie, is that, is that you said you broke your leg when you was it right when you were a youngster on your birthday or something like that? Was that is that the injury sort of? No, I was actually in the Highland League at the time, right? Yeah, and John Holt had been asked by Jim McLean who'd been doing well up there. Now, obviously, his first thing was me, yeah, because I'd been scoring a lot of goals for him. And I think when the one that highlighted him was we played Aberdeen. In a, in a regional cup and we are getting beat 2-0 and I scored twice in the last 10 minutes to get a 2-2 draw and make a replay back at Pataudry. Yeah. So John came to that probably stood out in, in John's mind that if Eddie's scoring against Aberdeen then. Yeah. So um, myself and Bradley went and did about a two-week priest now Bradley Brady had been released by United we then did two weeks with John Holt at Tannis at Gussie. Yeah. As of kind of pre-season. John spoke to me privately and says, by the way, we Jim wants you to go back again in the summer and uh, have a look at you again. He says, remember, if you do really well, you never know what happens. So, what I will say is that, sorry, that pre-season, there was three players scheduled to come back at United for a, a real look at, right? One was Paul Lambert. The second one was Craig Brewster. And the third one was me. Oh. On March the 13th, at the end of that season, I was playing Elgin City away and I got my leg broke. That was that. Can you remember much about the challenge, Eddie? Was it, was it a terrible challenge or was it... No, just, it wasn't. Just an unfortunate... I remember, I remember it as clear as day. Yeah. It was a throw on the left-hand side. I'd gone to get receive the throw in, the ball cut my feet. As it's come to me on the outside of my right foot, I've turned to go that way and then inside the park. And as the guy teased that he used to play with Dundee, he's come through and swept at the ball, missed the ball, and got my ankle and broke that bone. I remember going to the hospital with John when we got back to Dundee because Elgin had gave me crutches. Yeah. The Murray Hospital gave me crutches to get back down the road. John Holt drove me down the road and went right to DRI in Dundee. And John was begging me the surgeons not a plastic asset. I now know why. Because obviously he knew what was coming in the next few months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it must, must have been a nightmare for you, Eddie, having that with, with that carrot dangled in front of you. And then, and then that happens. It's Football can be a cruel game at times. And many years later, there, right? I was back in United working as a coach. Yeah. And I sat in the, the stand at the hospital just above the tunnel as you come out of Tannis. Yeah. And it was only myself and Jim McLean there. Just there. And I was scouting for the club that time, trying to bring on the best players for the club. Yeah. And Jim was adamant that we didn't lose any Dundonians. He was determined we always got the best Dundonians. Yeah. And he says, listen, I don't mind if they end up going across the road as long as we know about them. 
And at that point, he says, what about the boy Wilkie? This was Lee Wilkie. Yeah. And if I tell you, Andy McGregor, another scout there, he came in. And I said, well, so Andy, he'll take it with Lee Wilkie. And Andy said, give me too much. So Andy ran down to the office that we kept over uh, folders and that. I came back with a folder of intakes for that past few months. And he opened the, the folder and he got to Lee Wilkie and he went, there you go, he showed Jim McLean it. And in that folder was Lee Wilkie. The date he'd arrived in, his weight, his height, his break, everything like that, all the details, personal details. And then how, how long his training block was going to be. And I, I touched that with weekly notes on how he'd been doing. And at the end of that eight week uh, spell, there was notes on why we were keeping them. Yeah. And Jim McLean says, I've seen enough, he says, that's good, that's fine. <laughs> and then he turns and says, and all my time in the game in Dundee, I've only ever missed it on one Dundee. He says, I made one mistake. Yeah. He says, don't let another Eddie Black you happen to us. Yeah. And then I'll tell you the truth is, I lived in uh, about a five minute walk from Tallis at that time. I walked home in tears at night. Yeah. Because I knew how close I'd been. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those ones that he's, uh, it's, it's, it's great to, well, it's, it's nice in a way that, that Jim said that, but it's, it's one of those where you just wish that things could have been a little bit different there. You could have been buying the goals in for United. Yeah. And then <clears throat> in 1991, that was when I went and signed for Montrose. I told you, I had to my first game against Brecon. Yeah. As the first reserve game. That was the turn, you right? My very first competitive game for Montrose was in the fourth year cup semi final against St. Johnson. And St. Johnson set up a strong team that had people like Boy Man were playing in that. And yeah. The rest of the squad was over in Ireland, so they were playing two fixtures that day. Yeah. So the team that played us was as strong as you could possibly put on, given that we were playing two matches. I was fortunate enough to score a hat trick on my debut for the as well. And the good thing was, it was a perfect hat trick. First goal was right footer, second one, so first was left, second one was right, third one was header. <laughs> And we won the semi-final 4-1. And only found this out a couple of years ago. Jim McLean was at that game. Yeah. yeah. You, you also have some amount of match balls in your house, Eddie, scoring hat-tricks every other week growing up. Well, I think you've got to be a bigger clubs than Montrose and breaking that. That's <laughs> better match balls. <laughs> so see, that I mean, the playing career, uh, the, playing, the playing career, of course, you, you're, you're hurt by that um, broken leg. Were you always thinking about carving a career as a coach, Eddie? Was that always something in the back of your mind? I'll tell you, I was actually a guy called Arthur Henderson. Yeah. He used to be an excellent Johnson player, but he was a community coach at Dunedin at the time. And he encouraged me to go and uh, get, on, get on, on one of the courses. Yeah. Jim McLean one day as well, time says to me, says, uh, go down to Lars, get your badges, and come back and be a coach. Yeah. So I decided to take their advice. 
Yeah. And the start of the Nolan courses. I was still playing at the time. Were you? Island League. Wow. Yeah. So I was still playing, so I'd end up getting myself through the early ones and then to probably, I think maybe a B licence, which is okay. And I was still playing. And then I saw myself moving through the United system from scout to uh, community coaching to in charge of the 15s. And the captain of the 15s was Matt Wilson. Yeah. He went on to have a good career at Celtic. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. And then went from there, I got uh, asked to go to Brecon, back to Brecon as head of youth. Yeah. And I did that. And at that time, the, 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 the SFA started a new course called a youth license course. Yeah. For the first time. And it was only it was invite only. So one coach from every professional team in the country was sent in. So it was 40 teams in the country at the time. One coach from each team. I was obviously representing Brigham. Yeah. Let me tell you, there was only, I think, there was less than 10 past that course. Wow. Why is that? Was it difficult? Was it was it a hard course, Eddie? Was it intense? It was a tough course, yes, very tough. Demanding. Yeah. And very tough. Yeah. I think they wanted it to be tough. Because then the end result is that Brandon Smiggles at that time had the, the think tank. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they wanted the best youth coaches working with the youth players. So, of course, we're going to make it very tough. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be one of the ones that passed. Yeah. And a good friend of mine, Stevie Campbell, he was one at Dundee. He passed as well. So it was certainly a, an eye opener that course. Yeah. What's it What's it like down in Lars? So you hear a, the coaches going down there. You hear a, 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 I mean, it's renowned, isn't it? It's the coaches from all over the world go 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 to Lars, and it's known for its yeah. tough uh, training courses, like like you just said there, Eddie. It's it's some it's some place. Well, if there's one thing, if you're going to go there as a coach, is nervous. Yeah. You'll never survive. You won't survive. You've got to have a wee bit of confidence in yourself, a bit of belief. And realistically, Jim McLeod told me, do what they're asking you to do, there'll not be a problem. And I did that. It was good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, your first, uh, you said you were at Brecon and all that sort of stuff. Was it Lockheed United? Was that your first ma- manager's uh, manager's job in charge? Yeah, of the- well, I went from, when I was at Brecon, I got headhunted until I both. Right, okay, yeah. To be full-time head of coach, head youth. Yeah. So I was quite fortunate there that I'd learned my trade at United with the community work and the S forums, and I moved to Beacon as head youth. Then I went to our brother's full-time head of youth. So I kind of kept stepping up all the time. Yeah. I um about that time I went and helped another guy who was a good mentor to me, a guy called Kenny Cameron. Yeah. He's an ex- Dundee United player and Dundee player, but he's a Dundee legend, and uh, I learned loads from him as well. Yeah. Him, Jim McLean, Walter Smith, they're all of the same make, so um, it was a really good learning curve for me. By that time, I'd left Denville and Montrose, I'd been back to Montrose, back to Denville, and I'd left Denville to join Huntley, who were managed by 
next to the Aberdeen goalkeeper, John Gardner. Mm-hmm. And they were decent team at the time. He'd taken over from Stevie Patterson. And that's where the end of my career was up there at Huntley. Yeah. I played my last ever game in the Scottish Cup at Brockville against Falkirk. And I always wanted to retire at a good level. So playing the Scottish Cup on TV at Falkirk. Yeah. And the only thing that goes against me is that Kevin McAllister scored a goal that day against us in the Scottish Cup. When he took the ball from his own half, ran the length of the park, put the edge of our box and then chipped the goalkeeper. <laughs> the only problem is that sports scene used to show that goal and they're opening highlights every weekend. <laughs> and one of the first people he beat on that was me. <laughs> so, I'd be chasing after him, he'd just be shrugging me off where you go as he went past the next player, next player. <laughs> he was some player right in the funny. He was a good player, yes, he was. Yeah. So, see, see as a player then, Eddie, hanging up the boots, like you say, you wanted to, to, to sort of stop at a high level. Did you miss the dressing room and all that sort of stuff? You hear players saying... Not so much missed at the played side, but the sort of banter and all that. Or, um, were you not? Yeah, as the dress, I just love when you're a player or coach, that's what you miss more than anything else is the dress room. Yeah, being a part of a team. Yeah, and when I went back from there, I sent for Lock United and ended up after after leaving there, uh, I became assistant football manager at Violet Dundee Violet Junior Club. Uh-huh. John Holt was the manager, so back to John again. Had a good influence on my career. So John took me on board as assistant. And uh, John, he, John had, a, I think it was a holiday, or he had to have time off the, off the, off the team for a couple of weeks. And I managed to do quite well. And uh, I was at training one night with Violet when an ex-teammate of mine, Dan Taylor, uh, came into the training ground. And he wandered over to me and says to me, Eddie, he says, yeah, he says, when did you start training? I said, another hour yet. He went, could you come with me? I said, yeah, where are we going? He says, Lockie, I want to speak to you. So I jumped in his car, went along to Lockie, which is only five minutes away. Yeah. And I went in that board meeting and met the Lockie board there and then. And they basically offered me the job with Lockie man. Yeah. So I agreed. Yeah. And I went back to John and says, that was me away. So John was obviously disappointed about I did what I thought was the right thing for me at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Lockheed had just been relegated down to the regional league. So it was a tough job. Had to go and rebuild and start again. And I think a lot about, uh, possibly, I probably let about 15 players go. And I brought in about maybe 14 or 15. So it was a huge turnover. And it was a mistake that I was repeatedly around with you. So, um, fortunately enough, that first season we lost in any manager, I managed to win that league unbeaten. Tell I, so that's why I managed to finish top six. But we just missed out on, I think, the top yeah. five or so. We'll go up to what they call the new Super League. Yeah. We're going to take four teams. So, I top four. We're going to go from each region to become the East Region Super League. Yeah. So maybe four from the Lothians, four from Tayside, four from Angus, stuff like that. So we just missed out on it there. And the following season, we won the league on me. That's it. And then that, that gave us automatic promotion to the Super League. 
So it was a good time. Yeah, I can imagine. I was very fortunate that I managed to sign two players that were million pound players in my locking eight team. Who was that? It was a quiz question, is it? <laughs> One went to Chelsea from Dundee for roughly around about, I think he went for about 750,000 and then moved back from Chelsea later on in his career to probably something like Aberdeen or Hibs or something for around about a quarter of a million. So in total, he went for over a million in his career. Then the other went from not from Dungeon United to Nottingham Force. Brian Clough signed him. I just sort of on. I think who that, who that could be. Right. So the Dundee player was yeah. Andy Dow. Ah, yeah, what a player he was. Left footer, fantastic football player. Wow, yeah. And the Dungeon United one was Raymond McKinn. Another cracking player. Wow. Well, if you've got them in your team, you, you, you must have had some side, Eddie. I did, and I had other ones like, obviously, I had a lot of good experienced junior players. Yeah. And I signed a lot of players from that had been released by Dundee and United. And obviously took a couple from Abroad, where I'd been full-time youth. So, we were a strong side. So, that, that year we won the... That year we got missed out on promotion. We lost in one of the finals as well. Got heavily beaten by Halaby. 5-0, I think it was. And the following year, we won about four cups. Yeah. And we finished. And fourth place in the Super League, first year. People were tipping us to be relegated. We're four points from the title. But that Super League was full of players. Like, and the boy Dolan, Jamie Dolan, had played for Motherwell. He was yeah. playing for Bathgate. Ray McKinnon and Andy were playing for us at Lockheed. Um, George O'Boyle was playing for Bonus. He was a good player, yeah. So there was a lot of that there on the go. Ex-pros playing around the leagues. Yeah. Did you get good crowds, Eddie? A lucky, yes, but then. Especially Scottish Cup days. Yeah, I can imagine. And of course, of course you, were, you, you gave them with the, is it the Junior Cup final you had them in as well at Tanadice? That was uh, a year later. Yeah. We won the Super League that year, the following year. We won it. And unbeaten as well. And we went to the Scottish Cup final. At Tannis, but we feared that we'd been so focused on winning that Super League that we were playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, all week for, for about two months to get it wrapped up. And we did it wrapped up. It took its toll. Yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine it would. And the Scottish Cup, every game seemed to go to replay. No, we drew. And the very first round that Scottish Cup that year, that uh-huh. we drew the holders away in the first round, Carnoustie, and we beat them 2 1. We then got a wee trip away up to a place called Burhead, we up Aberdeenshire, and we won that company. Although the standard of that is that at half time, we were about 4 0 up, and one of the chairmen says to me, You're coming in here in the board for a wee dram. I said, No, you're all right. <laughs> I said, You're fine. I'm eyes, but it just shows you. That Maybe sometimes we take football too seriously. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Guys like for that. So he's been very hospitable, I have to say. So <laughs> uh, we then drew a West Coast team round after round. We've got, like, say, Lallet United. The guy, Doug Yermey, played for them. That was a good player. Yeah. Some decent players. And another replay, one in a replay, 2 1. That took us to, I think, about the last 32. And we played Nielsen. And their manager was ex-Celtic goalkeeper. 
Dennis Conlon. And again, that went to replay. We won again in replay. We beat them down there. It was the, the quarterfinals. And we played Arthurly at home. And a good side. We were a strong, strong side. Yeah. We won 0 up here. Minutes to go. And had a guy in the middle of the park called McGarvey. And he ran off the middle of the park and scored in the last minute for 1-1. One, one. I was devastating. And there was a very big crowd that that day. Went down Arthurly there, right? And this is this is true. If I told you that we 15 minutes to go, we're getting beat 4 1. We've just missed the penalty and we're down to 10 players. What would you say? <laughs> no chance. You're heading that back oh. up the road with nothing. We won. Wow. What happened there? <laughs> we won on penalty. I made one substitution and a guy called Philip Hagen, he was he was played for Wraith Rovers and he was deaf and he had two hearing needs in and he went on. And he was a talented young player. And he scored twice in about 10 minutes to bring us back to 4-3 from 4-1. We just missed the penalty and had the player set up back then. And then, I think it must have been virtually last kick of the ball. Philip took the ball, strode forward about 30 yards, and he had this wonder hat right in the top corner. I mean, anybody that was there from Lockheed that day, and there was like two busloads, they were all on the pitch. <laughs> he also on the pitch. And we're going 4-4. And then it's going to penalty kicks. And my goalkeeper was Ian Ross. Now, Ian was a big six-foot-two lad, very agile, and an imposing figure to go up to take a penalty kick against him. I remember in the in the talk just before we went to the penalty kicks, he said to the guys, listen, we pulled this back from the brink. I'll tell you one thing. Just concentrate on scoring your penalties because he'll save at least one. And he did. And we did. We scored all the penalties. Wow. So I remember going back to the dressing and Andy documented me. And he says, no, Raymond Kinnick came in and says to me, what happened there? What just happened? <laughs> couldn't believe it. You couldn't write it. Probably the greatest comeback ever. 4-1 down, 50 minutes to go. A player <laughs> sent off and just missed a penalty. And you win. So that took us to the semi-final. And we're drawn at the heart against Mary Hill Juniors, another big junior team. And that was scheduled to be played at uh, St. John's ground. I mean, damn it, yeah. Yeah. At that time, I was living in Perth. Ideal. Be five minutes down, walk down the road from me. We beat them 4 0. We absolutely battered them that night. We played so well that I, 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 I go on right and say that it wouldn't matter who we played that night, we'd have won. Unfortunately, the um, injuries caught with us. Paul Dunno had broke his arm. He was a midfield maestro. He played with a broken arm, but was in a cast, so he was rolled out for the final. Ray McKenna had been getting treatment on his hamstring for the two weeks building up to it. Johnny Thompson, the captain, another one with a hamstring problem. And he had come off at half-time, but he was ruled out in the final. And um, Craig Robertson, who went on to make his... I left, I left my left winger at Mocking Head. Went to make his debut for Dundee's first team for a couple of seasons. And went to regard as a legend there. So much so that he had his testimony at Mocking Head for 10 years and donated all the proceedings to Dundee and oh. they were going through the bad patch with the administration. That. Yeah, I could know. And he ended up, Barry Smith was manager, and Craig went back and played for Dundee three games of the trials when they were, they were not the do you remember? Yeah, 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 I do, yeah. So Craig went back and seen him. Yeah. You probably pick up stories about him and, and uh, Google, whatever, Craig yeah. Robertson. Fantastic player. So all my big players for that final were, were out on their feet. And the fact we're playing Tapo, who'd been in that situation so many times, They'd won the Scottish about three times that time. 
they've lost in our two finals. So they knew exactly what they're facing. So um, they were probably the last team we wanted to play that time. Even though previously, in the previous year, we played them four times and beat them every time. And the bullet to that final, I got asked by the reporter, the guy Kevin McGoldrick, I don't know if it's Kevin, I think he still wants me to do the record. He says to me, um, you think you'll win? I says, yes. He says, what makes you think you'll win? I says, well, listen, we're a young, fit team. We've got a good experience. I says, and Tapo, I think, the manager's done a great job so far. And he did. The Tapo the manager had done a great job because he'd inherited a team of 30-somethings. He knows as well as me, if you inherit a team at that age, average age, you're going to have to turn that team round at some point. I says to him, so I says, um, so I think that whilst he's done a good job so far, I think he's going to have to continue doing that job. It's going to take a couple of years before they get flagged back. The headlines in the paper on the Saturday morning were, Blackie says, tape on over the hill. <laughs> now, I've still got the article to this day in my garage that's here. And I could read word for word what I said is, is written down in print. Yeah. I'd actually complimented the manager on replacing that aging squad and suddenly I'd been turned into that. So obviously, Tapo were motivated enough then. They're more motivated now given what I'd supposedly said. As it was, on the day, we didn't play well enough to win and we lost 2-0. Yeah. Tapo were the better team and I've no, no problem going right and saying they were the best team on the day. Step too far, Eddie. Yeah. Your work at Lockheed got you recognised higher up the sort of the food pyramid, if you like, the football pyramid. Uh, Montrose come back in for you. How did how did that come about? Yeah, I was asked to go to a meeting, and uh, I did. I went along to a meeting, and I spoke to the board, and the chairman John Payton said to me that I impressed him that much before me that they'd like me to go back and speak to another director that was the president at the time. So I had to go back and basically. Uh, Rehearse my home interview again. I was on the train in Park Lockheed when I got a phone call from the chairman saying, By the way, I've decided that I want you to be your manager. And that to tell the Lockheed players then, then that was it. So I have to say, it was your heavy heart that I left because Lockheed were a fantastic team. And you spent a few years. this day, still run by great people, very supportive chairman, president. The committee were fantastic, hard working. They couldn't do enough for you. And whatever I asked at the club, they did it. I mean, they changed all the dressing rooms way back then for me. And they got rid of the boardroom and turned into a home dressing room, which was as modern as you could possibly get at that time. I wanted a nice machine in for the players for post-match recovery. They did all that. Everything I asked, they got. Couldn't be more supportive. Yeah. And for a football manager for your first job, I want to watch. Yeah, uh, yeah it, must been a, it must have been a wrench to leave. But, uh, I mean, you go to Montrose and... How, how did you find it there, Eddie? I know up until the summer they sort of changed it and, and, and brought Davy Robertson in, but before that, yeah, I mean, was it like there was a new money came at the club? Yeah, a guy called Kenny Black, who'd been associate with Elgin City, uh-huh. but David Robertson had been the manager of Elgin City, so they two had been good friends. So he kind of put money into Montrose about Kenny Black, and he spoke to John Payton and says, By the way, uh. Yeah, we'll help the whole club go forward. We want to keep Eddie. And John Payton, to be fair to him, says, Eddie's the manager, he'll retain the manager, right? But Kenny Black come on and says, I'd like Eddie to get some help. I want Dave Robson to come help you. Okay. Would you mind meeting him? I said, I'll come meet him, yeah. So I went and spoke to him. I can tell you, 
David Roy's experiencing that. He wasn't experienced as a manager that team. He maybe managed Elgin, but only for a year or so. His first thing he said to me was, says, Eddie, I didn't mean to train so much. He says, I much prefer being the drunk for the matches. I said, that's fine. And um, this is the team talk of the century, right? We're playing Elgin about four or five games in. And David says, because I used to be the manager there, I'd do the team talk today. I said, on you go. Cindy goes, we're all sitting there. All the players are in the dressing room. And David goes to take the team He says, right, guys. Goalkeeper. Focus. He says, you'll no come for balls. Get balls on top one. He'll drop them. He says, be ready for second balls. We'll get a goal for nothing for him. Right back, can of run. He says, slows the week in the jail. He says, get 1v1s against them, run down the side of him. So his information was good, right? But he was very critical of these players. When he goes centre half, he says, again, none of the two of them can turn. He says, uh, if we go run them into channels, we'll kill them. And so on, so forth. And right through the team like this. Left back, right mid, centre mid, centre mid, left mid, strikers. And killed them. And then the end, he teamed up by saying, I should know this because I signed them all there. <laughs> now, I know I know what he was saying. I know why he said it. But realistically, I wasn't really going to endear himself to the, the team at that point. No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Did you feel that, I mean, Eddie, did, did, him being brought in there, did, just, do you feel it maybe sort of undermined you a wee bit and, and made it difficult? Absolutely. 100%. I've got to learn Dave Stock, Derek, to this day, from a guy called Dave Smith, who was the Montrose supporters uh, in Venus. And then that says, Eddie, you did wonders up here when you come here as manager, and you probably start this day the most undermined manager in the history of the club. I'm more sorry to, sorry to see you go. Because the thing is that when I first went there as a manager, had the Montrose Juniors, had the Montrose Junior team called Rosalie, had the Montrose Senior team, and then Montrose Youth, and nobody was speaking to anybody. So the youth teams wouldn't speak to the junior team, the junior team wouldn't speak to the first team, the first team wouldn't speak to anybody. So I tried to bring all that together. And through the, the community officer at the time, who was a girl called Gemma Faye, who I knew from the women's football, she was the SFA coach up there in the area. So we, me, Gemma, the people in charge at Montrose Youths, the people in charge at Montrose Rosalie, the junior team, and the first team, we met every single week in meetings to try and make a pathway for the whole community. And I was going to schools myself with some of the supporters' conveners and the local schools, handing out free match tickets and having me talks and that. So I was trying to do my very best for the, for the town and trying to galvanise support for the team. And I think that's why I was so popular with supporters and that. Yeah. So at what point, Eddie, did you go like that? I've had enough sort of here, or was that taking out your hands, or you just walk away? Played Ardroth away, which is a derby game. Now, Emmy knows that. If you're a Montrose player, you cannot lose to Ardroth. So we're playing Ardroth away, and we get beat about, I think it's 4-1. And after the game, Kenny Black, the guy who put the money in, asked to see me, David and the kit man in the dressing room after the game. So I did. And he says, listen, this is going to work. David will now run all the players in the Montrose area on training. So on a Tuesday and Thursday, David will take them training. Eddie, on a Tuesday and Thursday, you'll take all the ones from the Dundee, Perth area 
down in Dundee. This is well, how's that going to work? We're playing two separate teams. He just says, he says, and why do you want that to happen? He says, because there's no fit, right? Now, that's the easiest thing in football to say, there's no fit. My very first session there on the Monday night, I took him to Camden Down Park in Dundee, which is a, a stone throw from Locking his Ground. Now, there's, there's runs there to this day that I know that teams still do, that Dundee and Dundee will probably still be called the, like the, the currently part run. And I still had the timings for my lucky players there. So my lucky team are fat. So I knew. So at the first thing I did with the players that I got from the Dundee and Perth area, I put them on that run. And invited a couple of ex lucky players as well to be almost like a, what do you call it when they go ahead, like a rabbit type thing. Or, ah, yeah, it's lead the way sort of thing. Sorry? You sort of lead the way, I guess. And... Yeah. 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 And, and I knew that they'd be, they'd be able to set a good time. Yeah. So they set a time, and everybody got in at a good time. Yeah. So at that night, I knew the players from area were fit. The one that the one that offer was, and uh, then about two or three weeks later, we were playing away at Stenhouse Muir, and I was going to get picked up on the bus, rather than me travel from Perth up to Montrose, for them to then go past my house. Yeah. For the game, I was going to be picked up. I think it was meant to be still in area like that because it's only like twenty minute trip from here, so it's still. Um, I got a phone call in the morning again to say that they'd been held up and that can I just make my way to the ground. So but I got to the ground and Dave Robson had already told me with the team. I was up on the wall, they're out for the warm-up. I just thought, no, this is there's no there's no for me. I was very evident at that point that I was being undermined. So I went to see the chairman that and says John Payton never wanted this to happen anyway in the first place. And I should listened to him. And I told him that. I couldn't work under these circumstances. So they agreed they were going to uh, basically pay my wages for the next 10 months, and that'd be the end of me. And that was it. I left. It's, it's frustrating, isn't it? I guess when you're working yeah. for an owner that, that prefers some other guy, like you see, you're working with your, your hands tied behind your back and all that sort of stuff. So Yeah. Uh, at that point, then I thought, I need to do something to enhance the knowledge of the game. Yeah. I went to university, I went to Aberdeen, and I became... I also became responsible for the head coach of Abate's women's section and I managed to win the league with that women's team, the National League. And I'll tell you, Abate's such a small university. My house is bigger. <laughs> I mean, Abate shouldn't be winning the Scottish League against the big giants so Edinburgh, Glasgow, Strathclyde, etc. Aberdeen, Robert Gordon. Abate shouldn't be winning the league. I did. And then I joined the fourth for West End to help a friend there in the juniors. And my match went league there as well. So as well as the three leagues I wanted to in, that took my total to like so five. And then I went to Glasgow City from there. I was reading, did you go did you go over to watch Barcelona for a for a period of time, uh, Eddie? I went there roughly around about six years on the trot. Yep. At the time it was Rijkaard that was in charge. And but he still had good players like Deco and Ronaldinho and that. Oh yeah, yeah. Still yeah. Julie. Um, Samuel Eto'o would have been there, wouldn't he? Eto'o's there. Javi um, obviously is still there. Mota. Yeah, he was good. Uh, the big defensive mid was the boy Marquez. Ah, uh, yeah, the Mexican boy. The Mexican. Yeah. So that was an eye opener for that, to be fair. Uh, that, would, that would have been absolutely fantastic. So, I mean, Gla- Glasgow, Glasgow City, then you're going there. I mean, you'd enjoy so much success there, Eddie. What, what was the secret, do you think? Was it a place that you guess you just loved going to your work there, or why did you do so I well? I mean, 
I was lucky enough to win nine titles in a row. And I won the first eight, four. I was joint manager with the manager that was there. I went on a trip to Sweden just to fact find mission with the SFA to Sweden. And the national manager, the women's team, Anya Senyol says, couple of trip here. I said, okay. I went, I was so shocked there because I'm going here and seeing these teams in Sweden and thinking, they're part-time. What the hell, they were in the part-time. They were getting up in the morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, getting on their bikes, cycling to the local factory, leaving their bike outside in the, in the locked up, going in and doing the work from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, they were leaving the factory with, with permission, going away to the local football club and training till half past 12. Then they'd have lunch at the stadium from half past 12 to 1 o'clock. Then returning back half past one and they finish the shift at six o'clock every day. Wow. Every day. That time my backside. <laughs> so at that time it used to be I remember I think it was Aberdeen got knocked out by some Scandinavian team in the UEFA Cup or something. And the headline was Aberdeen beaten by Butcher Baker's candlestick mate as that kind of headline. I think I remember that, yeah. I might like, I might like, people don't understand. No. They're probably training more than Aberdeen's first team. So it was a fallacy to say they were beaten by part-time as a winner. So when we went to Glasgow City, on that bus was the Glasgow City contingent, and they said to me, how would you like to come and be the first ever salaried manager in the women's game in Scotland? Yeah. Hey, I'm up for that. <laughs> and their manager was there as well, so he thought it was a great idea that it would be joint managers. I said, okay. So in the first four years, we won the title every year. In fact, we won the treble every year. The next four, I was on my own because he'd left. The, the club had asked him to step aside and become like a, almost like a general manager. He refused. So it was a similar to place where I'd been with David Robinson. And it didn't sit well with me, but listen, they said, they told me, they said, listen, he's moved on. Would you take the team? I said, yeah, I'll take the team. So I took the team. After the next four years, won the title again every year. Mm-hmm. And three times out of four. So it was eight in a row. The next year, I was six points ahead at the top of the league clear when I got a phone call to ask me if I'd fly over to France to take over a French team. So Scott Booth came on board and won that title, the ninth one. But I was I was all done in Pax. Yeah. I was I was mining all but name. All they do was win the last few games and that was it done. And they did. So realistically, I've got a bigger claim on nine in a row than, than Scott Booth did. So when I add them to the three one at Lockheed, that was twelve, the one and one at West End. And the one on one at Aberty has become quite a collection. Yeah, you need a big trophy cabinet, Eddie. See, see um, that that transition into the women's game did was, was it a bit difficult compared to the men's? I Only think. in language. Only in language. So you can maybe get away with maybe some choice words in the men's game. The women weren't quite really acceptable for that. But we became very successful and managed to. My first year we're going last 32 Champions League. My next year went last 16. So the first year went to the group stage. Again, the first ever Scottish team to go group stage. Then we went last 32, then last 16. And then my third or fourth year, we made it to the quarterfinal. I became the first manager since Joxine, first Scottish manager, to take a Scottish team to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Matter of fact, I was the first manager ever because Joxine took the quarterfinals or the, the European Cup. No David done in the Champions League. And that was the reporter that told me that. And I mean, 
It's just fantastic, isn't it? I mean, taking that Glasgow setting and, and improving year on year, like you say, going into the Champions League against the best teams in Europe must have been must have been such a, a great fun time to be involved with them at that point, Eddie. It's fabulous, and they were another club where, like Lockheed, very supportive uh, management above me. The staff were very good, and uh, I got a lot of help. And I had a great assistant, a guy called Donald General, who took a morning to work there. And he was bright. In terms of the women's game, I mean, it seems to be growing year on year, doesn't it? It seems to be getting more and more professional. And is that is that, is that how you find it from where you started at Glasgow City to? Yeah, absolutely. I remember that right is that Arsene Wenger is a man I've got a lot of respect for. I've met him and uh, I've enjoyed his company on one or two occasions. I remember one day he was asked, "What's the next big trend in football?" You know what football is like. It goes in trends. This year it's four three three. Next year it's three five two. Next year it's four two three one. Next year it's possession. Whatever. There's always different trends in football all the time. So, Aston Villa was asked many years ago, "What's the next big trend in football?" And this is his answer: the next big boom will be women's football. Yeah, yeah I don't think he's wrong. No. No, I can ha- I can happily say that I've now. Earned a living from women's game since that 2007 job at Glasgow City. Yeah, the success you had there was, was incredible. You, you also had the, the record win there. Was it 29 0 or something against? Um, was it, I, see, 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 sitting, see, standing on the touchline, Eddie, and, and you're seeing the goals just getting banged in like that. What must that be like as, as a coach see, seeing, seeing that happen? I'm going to tell you something, right? I actually was coaching another team that night. Oh, worry. <laughs> The management was maybe 10 feet away from us and dug it on the sideline. And I says to him, stop playing so high. Tell them to drop deeper. And this guy couldn't understand why he's getting absolutely battered and I'm trying to help him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see the likes of Rangers and Celtic. I know I've spent a bit of money as well to try and sort of catch up on Glasgow City. I guess it, but they're still the, the, the sort of main team, aren't they? They're still, still out there in front to be, to be caught at. But it's great to see more and more more and more interest in, in the women's game, especially in Scotland. I'll tell you, the, the women's game's way to go the same as the men's. Money will dictate and Celtic and Rangers will take over. Do you think so? Mark my words, Glasgow City might be winning titles right, but that'll not last long. The next few years we'll see Celtic and Rangers start adding titles to their trophy cabinet. Yeah, well, I think they certainly demand if they're spending a bit of cash, you know, they, 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 they want that, wouldn't they? They don't want to play second fiddle. Um, yep. So you can see that happening. So, so the next part, I, went, I flew over to France. I was on holiday with my wife in Spain. I used to go to Spain every year. I then went to the airport in Spain and I flew to France just for a few days. I lived in, I was put up in Paris for a few days. I then went to Clairefontaine, yeah. which is the academy in France. Yeah, and we handpicked, I was personally handpicked a team of players from France to come over to Scotland and play. The team at that time were called Eddie Sport. They then changed the name to Caledonian Braves and they now play in the Lone League. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. How do you find how do you find Claire Fontaine? Because I spoke to um oh, Stephen Tico, who was at Hibs, he played for France, the, the under 16s and what have you. And he says it was just it's just an incredible place, sort of thing. And it does. Yeah, the, it does. Yeah, the, the best the best come through there. So we mentioned you mentioned your wife. She, um, you met her at, when she was a, a player, is that right, Eddie? When she was at Glasgow City, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Coaching your wife, that, that must have been so, that must be a, a bit different. You don't really hear that too much. No, I think it's positives, to be honest here. Because if there's a problem in the dressing room, she'd be able to tell me. Aye, right enough. She's going to speak to that player, going to speak to her. Then that one's felt like that one, that's not happened. So there's three things that. Now, she was also discreet enough to keep things that I shouldn't know herself, which is also very clever. Yeah, absolutely. And if I look back on that, the women's games not just given me a salary for a number of years, gave me a wife and a, and a child. So, yeah, yeah, it's been good been to very you. fortunate. Yeah. Um, like you say, you're at the Edo Sport, uh, Edo Sport Academy, but then you get the call for from um, Airdrionians. Uh, was it direct- there was there is a um, at Edo Sport. I'm loving the job, absolutely loving it. Yeah. We're top of the South of Scotland League, top. Very similar to, as I say, a matter of games to go, and the Monday version won that title. And I got a phone call from Ian King, who at that time was. Had just become the the CEO of Airdrie. So I go and meet the chairman, Tom Wotherspoon, and he makes me an offer of a three-year deal. Firstly, virtually doubling wages and then. So again, it's a no-brainer. I live in Coatbridge. It's five minutes up the road. It's uh, financial packages is very, very rewarding. And he tells me, just got us in the top four already, that's what he asked. But put in place a method. So since obviously being at Barcelona five years, six years, going there every year, but that's time Guardiola taking over. So the whole place has gone boom in Barcelona. It's huge. And by this time, going back five or six years, I've now made friends with some of the coaches. So I'm able to ask them personal questions, either through email, text message, what have you. Yeah. Or when I go back over a visit. And one of them, David Silva-Pooch, he actually takes me in, in his house one time and my wife's there, Emma, and she goes in with a notepad and pen and I told her, just write down everything we speak about, so right, she did. And it was the most illuminating team talk I've ever had with anybody. Oh, yeah. This is on the basis of philosophy. I learned it inside out. It was phenomenal. Uh-huh. And that's why Glasgow City was so successful because I put in place that philosophy at, at City. From City, obviously, you know where I went there. And so from Airdrie, I put in a similar methodology, Airdrie, and we became one of the best teams to watch in the country, mm-hmm. under 21s, under 20s. People weren't afraid to send their players. They were all wanting to send their players to Airdrie because we were playing a certain style. So much so that I got a guy called Jordan Thompson from Rangers. On loan. I think he was ex-Man United, ex-Northern Ireland, yeah. ex-Rangers. Quality. Well, what a player. So, when a man's in Airdrie, playing away to Dunfermline, uh, and about five minutes before half time, Jordan scores an absolute screamer. Uh-huh. In the top 1-0. I'm confident this time, Dirk, because we've gone on a run of wins now. Like, the team's playing well. We're gelling together. We went to Dunfermline, who's ran away league that year. And we played on a Friday night live on BBC Arbor at East End Park. Then they've been beat at home for two years. They beat them 1 0. So you can imagine the conference oozing to the team. But then be, uh, Crown beat at home, Stenosphere, um, Arbion Rovers. And then we went to, uh, obviously, away to Stenny. Sorry, away to Crown beat. 
Okay. Number one not at half time. At that point, two or three minutes before half time, I turned up the dog out and says, Guys, I'm just gonna wait at the toilet. All right. And I did this regularly, so I'd always go in five minutes before half time, gather my thoughts, get on the board and, and just write what I'm planning what I'm going to speak to the players about at half time in the second half. So I've gone inside, I've did that, but I went to the toilet first and I went to wash my hands and I couldn't turn the tap on. And I've gone, fuck, this arm's no moving, what's happening? So this arm's no moving. So I shouted on the visual. And she said, what is it? So I don't know if I, I was maybe slurring my words or something there, but she noticed something and she asked me to do that test and the arms up. Couldn't do it. So luckily for me, I'm at a professional football ground. Because so I've got to be a doctor on call. She gets the doctor. Down he comes. He immediately phones an ambulance, tells them all the symptoms, and starts preparing me for going ambulance. The ambulance is there within 20 minutes. Yeah. My wife's in the stand, six months pregnant, with our first baby. I got a blue light to end the hospital. My wife falls in the car. I'm lying back in the bed, in the hospital, in the hospital. They pull the curtains around us. My wife's at the other side of the curtain with the consultant. She says to the consultant, how's you going to be? The consultant says, it's no good. She said, a massive brain hemorrhage. And if he gets through the next 40 hours, if he gets through the next 40 hours, he'll never walk or talk again. Wow. A hammer blow dead. She's six months pregnant. Unbeknown to them, I'm listening to this. I'm sitting there thinking, is that right? <laughs> Two things. You either lie down and die or you get up and fight. That's it. That's it, Eddie, yeah. At that point, the wee Dundoni and me came back and thought, I'm going to fight you right then. <laughs> and I did. And that wee kid who's now five-year-old at school now was an absolute godsend for me. He, he, hearing that for the, the doctors, though, Eddie, from, like you say, teams flying... Conference is, is oozing, and then that, and then that strikes you at, at that point, um, out the blue, having that sort of diagnosis, no talking or, or walking again. Uh, if if you make it through the, through as well, it's it's it really really brings life into perspective, doesn't it? What was that yeah, like to deal with? Horrific. If there's one thing anybody in this world that's walking around and now right is loving, what you don't want to lose is your physical independence. That's what I've lost. And that's a bad, bad place to be. So here's the crux right there. As at the end of the game, the chairman and the chief executive come to the hospital to visit me. And the chairman goes out and grabs my hand and says, you're dancing already. Well done. This is what you went. Well, one, three, one. That's what top four. <laughs> Dear me. So um, again, Derek, I managed to fulfill my aims. <laughs> So he's a very lucky guy. Yeah. Lucky. yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're go if that's going to happen to you, Eddie, then you're in the right place, I guess. Apart from a, a hospital, I guess. But the doctors yeah. about you and things like that, I guess you're you are lucky that they could respond so quickly with regards to that. But in terms of your recovery, Eddie, I mean, you went over to America, didn't you, to uh, to get treatment and what have you? So it was a long. I road. did that, and every single club in the country contacted Airdrie to ask how I was and also offer a donation of a shirt or tickets or something like that wow. to help with fundraising That's good. in America. So the whole of the Scottish game got behind me and I can't thank everyone enough. Yeah. Forget about the fact that I was a United fan. Dundee were one of the biggest donations, donators for my fund. So 
I just showed you about up in Dundee is they've not got the animosity and the hatred that goes on in Glasgow between like Celtic and Rangers and that. And long may that continue, I have to say. The football community rallies round with, with things like this. It, it really is heartwarming to see, Eddie. And, um, in terms of yourself, did, did it give you a different outlook on life when you were recovering from this? Yeah, of course. It put things in perspective. My family became number one. Football kind of dropped down a lot of me, but my faith to me was very important at the time as well. Yeah. My wife and I are both church goers, so and that became quite strong for us. Yeah. Obviously, the premiers, the prayers of the community helped us as well. So again, I couldn't thank enough people. No, I was sitting in the house one night. I got out of the hospital. And I applied for every single research course as possible. Everyone. And I advise anybody to do that. So if there's anybody sitting there going through a stroke or brain hemorrhage, whatever they want, it's not the end. No, if anybody sees this recording that, it's not the end. I promise you it's not the end. You can fight back and you can get your life back down. I could, I could walk, I could talk. I mean, I'm now walking easily for 45 minutes a day. Easy. Oh. Like you say, though, Eddie, isn't it? You, you you lie down and, and I are fighting, get back up, and you've shown, you, you've clearly showed you've got you've got fight about you. Um, so it, yeah, and I got a phone call within two weeks. When I was at the hospital. I was from the the chief executive at Motherwell, Alan Burrows, yeah. asked me if I'd be interested in going to Motherwell and helping them. He says they're just about to sweep up their women's team as part of the professional setup, and they'd like somebody to be experienced to manage it. So I went along and I managed it. And won the league unbeaten. <laughs> so, and at the end of that, I got a phone call from Celtic phone Motherwell and asked to speak to me. So I went headhunting for Celtic. So I went and then took that job. And I took them to Ronald's up in the top division. So. Must have been great getting back in the game, Eddie, just getting involved again um, yeah. after that. Well, listen, there's nothing wrong with my brain. Yeah. I can still, still analyse games. Yeah. I can still see what's wrong. I can still fix it. I can still train players. And obviously, I'm now about fourth so after leaving Celtic, I went back to Motherwell. When I left there, I had a disappointing second spell back at Motherwell. And uh, I took the fourth job because it was obviously back near my hometown, Dundee. And I knew the people well there and I thought I could help them. But the past six weeks have been an absolute disgrace. So between the end of last season, and the start of this, yeah. Crawford lost 16 players. Five of them went to Aberdeen. Four under-19s and one senior. Right, that's five. Two went to Montrose. That's seven. Three went to Dun United. That's ten. Two of the longest seven players retired. Twelve. Two decided to concentrate on university work. Fourteen. One signed for Spartans. Fifteen. So, I joined the club who didn't have one signed player, not one, not one signed player. So they didn't even know for real to start the season. So it wasn't just a recruit, it was a rebuild. We got to around about the end of July. The first game was scheduled for the 1st of August. Yep. Yeah. And we were due to play Dungeon United in the Cup on the 1st of August in Dundee. There's a problem. You've got to have signed players to play Cup time. God. So myself and some people at the club at Forfar who are very good he scrammed about a guy called Jeff. Fantastic. A big help. Really helped me. Was, between him and I, we must have contacted oh, 30, 40 players. Yeah. And I was just a dead end every time we turned. Dead end after dead end. We couldn't get 
eventually, believe it or not, we managed to get 11 signed players on the part against Trinidad. We contacted the SWF, who are in charge of the women's game, told them that I was unlikely we were going to get players on the part. No, they did. They went and checked the registration site and noticed that we had a full squad of under-17s and then came back and says, we expect you to play them in the game. Oh, really, me? Jesus, wow. So, we did that there, right? Some of them played in the morning at 11 o'clock, waited on Fairman night for under-17 match. They then got transported through to Dundee and played for us. Surely there's to be some kind of sporting integrity. That's, that's piss right? poor, isn't it? We got absolutely battered 7-1, 7-0, sorry. And we're lucky now. It was a hammer, they got a hammer. Anyway, the SWF, during the week, we contacted them again and said that, I told the board that for there's no point in going with this because you just got hammered every week. You've got to play full-time teams like Celtic, Rangers, Glasgow City, Hibs. You got hammered. So we contacted the SWF again and said, it's unlikely we're going to be able to fill the team. Well, they agreed to us dropping out the league. Bye by SPL one. But was it a drop in SPL two? No. Was it a drop to championship? No. We're gone. Just like that? No way. Yep. So we just said, right, we're going to focus on one under 19s in, which is National Performance League. Yeah. Which is a good standard, right? And but so was then then they said that we're going to push the under 17s, who are a young team anyway, to become the under 19s. My job we now changed from head coach of SPL one team to now head of methodology. So I was going to put everything I learned at Barcelona and all these places and the place at Forfa and start coaching these teams from the very youngest age under nines right through. I'd put in place some methodology. It's starting from scratch, yeah. That's, 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 that's an actual nightmare. So I'm not finished yet. <laughs> so we'll play my first match at 19s and we'll get home to Boromir. Boromir, an established team from Edinburgh especially on the 19th level. We lose the home game 2-0. We'll give a good account of ourselves, so it's decent. So then, this weekend, just passed there against Hearts last, last Sunday. We're Hearts away. Yep. We then get an email from the SWF. Guess what? See how they players that played 17s? Yep. They're all cup-tied. They can't play against Hearts. No way. No way. No way. That's a farce, isn't it? Disgrace. Can't say somebody. Can't say somebody play the 17s and two weeks later say, "Oh, by the way, they're off cup side." Ah, that's a joke. That's that's a total mess. I guess you've got no comeback to that, and you just need to forfeit and, and pull out of that competition. No, we went. No, we did. There, we went through the hearts, and we took all the players that were cup tied, and we sat them in the stand and then <laughs> to play them. Okay. And that's anybody hearts asked. We just said, there's my team there, understand, look. Aye. That's a, that's a total farce. Isn't it? it's common sense needs to prevail, surely. Absolutely. Well, it seems like you've got your work out there, Eddie, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, and I have to say that on August the 13th, you can still see it to this day, the SWF on the site said that we will continue, I quote, we will continue to engage and support for Farmington and their development of their, youth, of their under 19 team and their youth pathway, right? Less than three days later, the cup time. Nah, that's rubbish. It's banging your head against a brick wall, and it? it's just, it's. And this is what I mean about sport and integrity. Yeah. That's no sport and integrity. 
as a national governing body, they've got to be seen to be leaders. Yeah, I wonder why the, the, we can't improve the game and things like that, but denying these girls the chance to play, it's just uh, defies belief. Um, yeah, these are kids that these are kids that have barely kicked them all. Uh, it's a mess. Uh, it really is. That's for the, the, the senior side. So that's, that's where I'm now. Yeah. I've now got my head focused on creating the methodology at Forfa and also these under-19s and getting them ready to play senior football. Well, we wish you all the best with that, Eddie. What is that? Thank you, Dick. Appreciate that. Further down the line, did you, did you have any maybe aspirations getting back involved in the, the men's game somewhere or are you just happy just taking one, one day? I'm the type of guy that I'll never say never. If something comes up that offers me a job that I quite fancy, then yeah, I'll go for it. But I've got an agreement at Forfar and I'm going to try and see that through. I'd love to try and see them back in the top league and that would be great for me. Well, we wish you all the best, Eddie. It's been it's been great having you on. Thank you very much for, for coming on. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate that. That was episode 114 of the Talking Football podcast with Eddie Walecki Black. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. You can listen to any previous episodes on pretty much all podcast platforms and also on our YouTube channel. Just search for Talking Football and you can also search for all the previous episodes on our website, talkingfitball.co.uk. You'll find a load of great content and articles on there. And we're on the lookout for writers. If you fancy writing for the website, Get in touch via the Get Involved page or by emailing contact at DerekClarkSports.co.uk. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore Football and we're on Facebook as well. I hope you can join me again next time, but until then, keep safe and bye for now. Bye.